You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. We forget to recognize the awe, the splendor, the wonder of resurrection. And so today, what I'm going to ask us to do is to dive in to the mystery of the resurrection, to dive in to the awe of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't want to lose that. I never want to lose the fact that Jesus died and rose again and that there is joy, eternal joy, because of what he's done for me. One of our core reasons for celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ on this Easter Sunday is to set it apart from being commonplace. You see, the reason you're here is because Jesus rose from the grave and we gathered. Our gathering here today is to remind us that there is no one else like Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ stands alone. And for us collectively to come together and have the privilege of worshiping Jesus Christ. What we're doing here is we declare, we confess, we practice the lordship of Jesus in this place. His singular purpose for all of us was that he would come die on the cross, raise again, and give us eternal life. To save us by his life, his death, and his resurrection. He is set apart from all others. I love what Dr. Lockridge says. He says it this way. He stands alone in himself. He is unique, unparalleled. He is supreme. And yet in all of this, he forgives sinners. He heals the sick. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young, he regards the old, and he supplies strength for the weak. That's my resurrected king. Amen. All of those things are given to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So after 33 years, 33 Easter's, 33 Easter messages, it's one of my greatest joys that never gets old, and I want to do that with you this morning. Would you just stand with me just for a moment? We're going to do this together. We are going to make this Sunday significant in our lives. We're going to do this. He is risen. He is risen. He has risen. Amen. Amen. That is powerful. That is powerful. That is powerful. You may be seated. So now what we're going to do is we're going to look at John chapter 20. If you have your Bible with you this morning, that's great. We're also providing the, the scripture on the overheads. There are blue Bibles all around this sanctuary. If you don't have a Bible, you can take one of those blue Bibles home with you. We'd love, we'd love for you to have the Word of God in your home. It's here that John connects you, connects all of us with the awe of the resurrection. I think more than any other gospel writer. That's what John does for us. He talks to us about this mystery, this this great wonder of what Jesus has done for us. John does this amazing job. John gives us something invaluable. John exposes us to the interpersonal workings of how the resurrection affected the disciples. How the resurrection of Jesus Christ affected community. And that's what I want to see happen in my life. I want the resurrected power of Jesus Christ to be alive in me every single day. And I want the power of the resurrection to be alive in our communities as we declare We declare his kingship. See, John's account of the resurrection stirs within us this wonder, this mystery, 
And at the same time, telling us about the wonder and mystery, it provokes us, it leads us to make a decision. Because you can't read the Gospel of John or any other Gospels and not come to a decision, a decision of faith, a decision of believing. John is the Gospel writer that repeats the word believe more than any other Gospel writer. He says you, you must believe. You come to that place of believing. So I want to take John chapter 20, and I'm going to break it down with you in one passage at a time. And so let's do that. I want to look at verse 1 of John chapter 20. It says, early on, the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. The other disciple is John, the one who wrote this came running and said, the one that Jesus loves, that's John, said, they have taken the Lord Jesus from the tomb. We don't know where they put him. That's Mary speaking out. So Peter and the other disciple just started for the tomb. So they heard the message. They heard the word, and they took off. So the first thing that we need to know about this, it's important for us to know that there is no other religion, there is no other faith, there is no other belief on the planet that can boast of their leader rising from the grave. It's only through the faith that we have in Jesus Christ that we recognize that. He stands alone and that our entire Christian faith depends on the resurrection. The Apostle Paul said that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. He said, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless. And he even goes further. Not only is our preaching useless, but our faith is in vain. You see, the platform of our belief, our faith, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what makes the remarkable even more remarkable is that God entrusts us, people like us, with this message. That if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been given a gift. Not only the gift of eternal life, but you've been given the gift of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. As the Bible states how the good news is lived out, but also your own testimony, your own story. How has the resurrection of Jesus Christ affected you? How has it changed you? In our resurrection story today, John records and he tells us about three different people who saw something. <laughs> they all saw something. Maybe you've experienced something like this where there were three or four people and they witnessed the same event and everyone came away with a different account? Well, you see that happening in this story, in John chapter 20. They saw the same thing, but in three different ways. The first person that John tells us about is a woman named Mary Magdala. Mary from Magdala. Mary Magdalene is the way that she was known. And she reports something here that wasn't accurate. She says that someone had taken the body of Jesus Christ. That was her conclusion. That was the way that she saw what took place. Then you have to ask yourself the question, why did John, out of all people, choose Mary to talk about? Because we know from other gospel accounts, there were other women there. There were other people involved in this transaction that was taking place. Well, she was probably the first person there. And so John gave her credit. If she's going to be there that early, if she's going to be there at the tomb of Jesus Christ, then we're going to talk about her because she was the first there. It says here that she arrived while it was still dark. I want you to know something about that term. 
that term is actually a technical term. See, in, in those days, there were four night watches. The first watch was from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. The next is from 9 p.m. to midnight. The next is from midnight to 3 a.m. And then this watch from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So what we say about this is she got up early. She was there early in the morning. And so when we read this, we have to ask ourselves the question, why was she there so early in the morning? Well, my guess is she couldn't sleep. <laughs> my guess, like any of us, if we would have seen something or been involved in something like the resurrection and prior to that, the, the crucifixion, I don't know if we would get much rest that night. I'm guessing that she tossed and turned all night long. So she just decided to get up and go to the tomb. So I, I don't know what she was thinking about going there. See, love doesn't have answers to those questions. Love just gets up and goes. And Mary was deeply in love with Jesus. So what does she do? She just gets up and goes. Probably she was going there because that was the last place she had contact with Jesus. I don't know if you've ever experienced something like this. I know I have. When someone that you love deeply passes away, there's grief, there's love, it's all mixed together, and that you go to that place that you may have last contact with them. I still do that today. There are people in my life through the 34 years I've been here that I deeply love. And so every now and again, just to remember who they are, to appreciate their influence in my life, I just go out quietly. I go out to the cemetery and I, and I thank the Lord for their lives. I looked at my folder the other day, and I recognized I've done hundreds of graveside sermons and, and, and hundreds of funerals. And I think that none of them are ever not unique. They're all unique because we're unique. See, Mary loved Jesus. She was there at the tomb early, was in tears. Now, this is understandable why she would be crying, because Jesus had done so much for her. Jesus had invested in her life. See, before she met Jesus, she was tormented. Her mind, her heart, her spirit. Jesus cast out demons. And now the one who did so much for her is dead. I can't imagine what she was experiencing while she stood there in that quiet, dark cemetery. Jesus set her free. He cast out demons. Now he's dead. She witnessed his crucifixion. She was there when he took his last breath. She saw the horror of what happens to people who cross over a line and they go against the Roman government or the religious leaders of the time. She saw it. The horror, the terrifying moments that she experienced. And I'm thinking, she's thinking that Jesus is now gone. Are those demons going to come back? Are, are those demons going to come back and, and haunt me? This had to be terrifying for her. Jesus was the one she loved and trusted. Jesus was the one who forgave her. Jesus was the one who gave her new life. You see, her love for Jesus was unique. And what does Jesus say? He says, to much who have been forgiven, that same person loves much. If you're someone who has been forgiven, and maybe even to the depth of Mary, there is a love that abides. There's a grace that's part of your life. You know, we don't know all the things that Mary did before Jesus came along. We do know a few things. 
We do know that she came from a place called Magdala, and it was known for prostitution. And so most people believe that she was a prostitute before she met Jesus. And she was in a town that was full of commerce and business. It was a, a trading community, mainly with fish, on the western side of the Galilee. She grows up in this horrible, broken environment. This is the way that she grew up. These are the things that she understood. These are the things that broke her. It was that community. Don't you just love it? When I read stories like this, I love the fact that Jesus has a big eraser. And that it doesn't matter what our past is. It doesn't matter where we've come from, our background. He will take you just as you are. I think that's the hardest thing for us to hurdle, isn't it? It's hard for us to, to get over the fact that we were broken, that we were sinful, that, that we lived a broken life. It's hard. But what Jesus does is he comes along and he says, you're forgiven. By his blood, you are forgiven. That great big eraser takes care of our sin. Now I want you to do something. I want you to notice something else that stood out to me when I was reading this story. I mentioned it a little earlier in the message, but Mary's account of what she thought happened to Jesus. In verse 2, she reports to Peter and John, and, and what does she say? She says they've taken the Lord's body from the tomb. She immediately thought that the body of Jesus had been taken, that robbers had come along and, and taken the body of Jesus. It's interesting where our minds and our hearts go when tragic, difficult things happen. When we face trauma, the things that we conclude, the, 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 the decisions we make, the presumptions we make. It says here that she was stricken. We know that. This is something we do when we are grief-stricken. We, we can't make sense of our circumstances. And because we can't make sense, we, we make things up. We decide what the conclusions are. They have taken away the Lord. Is that true or false? It's false. There's no they. There's no conspiracy. This is something Mary says actually two more times. They. There is no they. There just is a he, and the he rose again. That's what happened. But the first thing that came to her mind wasn't a resurrection. And yet, Jesus talked about his resurrection. He talked about it three or four times prior to this happening, but they just weren't getting it. This is what grief can do. This is what heartache can do. Jesus raises from the grave, and she thinks that the body of Jesus is robbed. Mary isn't expecting a resurrection. Her natural mind works for a natural explanation. I think we've lived through an era just in the last few years that we've tried to do the same thing, that the things going on around us just don't seem to make sense. The trauma that happens around us in community, we're trying, to, we're trying to come up with conclusions and answers. That's just what we do. That's just who we are. But maybe all the while, Jesus is standing right in front of us. That the answer really is Jesus Christ. I want to go a little further, and I want to look with you at verses 4 through 10 in this passage. Listen to what it says. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen uh, lying there, but did not go in. And then Simon Peter came along behind him. He went straight into the tomb. 
He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus's head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and he believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to where they were staying. I love this account. You have to find and see a little humor in the story here. What happens is Mary goes back to the disciples. She tells them what she thought had happened. And then Peter and John just get up and start running, apparently leaving Mary in the dust. They weren't gentlemen, obviously. They just took off. It says, and the other disciple outran Peter. Isn't that curious? The one writing this, John, is boasting. He's saying, I outran Peter. He tells you this. He says, look what happened. I outran him. We don't know all the reasons why he does this. I have some suspicions. I think Peter's a little older than John. There probably was a little bit of like a sibling rivalry where Peter was John's older brother in, 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 in the mix of things, in, in the way the dynamics of the relationship work. They were probably always going after each other. The most important thing we see here in human history that takes place, and John says, and I outran Peter. Just want you all to know that. This is exactly what I did. It's John saying, I, the author of this book, the one that Jesus loves, I am also faster than my big brother. <laughs> I beat him. The resurrection marathon. I won it. I beat him. When actually the run was probably more of a sprint, like a half a mile. But he won. He got there before. John gets to the tomb but does not go in. And then Peter arrives. Guess what happens when Peter arrives? Probably out of breath, he pushes past this young punk, John. And he goes into the tomb. This sounds, sounds right, doesn't it? This sounds like Peter. What we know about Peter is he was pretty rambunctious. He was, he was pretty, let's get it done. Let's do this. This is just Peter's personality bursting into the tomb. I like this. Why stay outside when you can go inside? I mean, why are you going to do that? Let's, let's just go on. Let's go in. And then look again. I love verse 8. It says, then the other disciple, John, who came to the tomb first. He doesn't say it just once. He says it twice. He's rubbing it in. He said, I want you to know what I've done here. These guys weren't competitive, are they? They really were. In fact, that doesn't even surprise me. Because their nicknames, John and James, who were brothers, were called Sons of Thunder. And so they probably had things going between them back and forth, of which Peter was included. Now, there are three words here that I want you to look at in this passage because it makes all the difference in the world. Three separate words in the original language, but all translated into the same English word. The English word is the word saw. I want you to look at that. It's mentioned. This is important to know because it speaks to how these followers discovered the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, everything is centered right here. John brings this to a climax, and he says, this is how we saw what happened. What's interesting, again, is it's three different words in the original. It's one word in the English. So we really can't appreciate this unless we know what's happening. Verse 5, it says, John saw. 
That means to notice. So when John got there, he just kind of looked around, checking the environment out, probably looking around. Is there any more Roman guards around here? Am I in trouble? What's going to happen next? So he's, he's paying note. He's noticing the things around him. And then in verse 6, Peter saw, and that means he was looking very carefully. So Peter goes a little deeper in the way that he's observing everything going on. He's looking very carefully. In fact, the word is the same word we get for theater or theory. So Peter was looking around and he was studying closely everything that was going on, looking into the tomb and noticing how things were laid out. Peter's studying closely, but then you get to verse 8. It says, John saw, that same word again, but this means something different. John is seeing here with great comprehension, with great understanding, a different word. See, it says here that John saw and he believed. He had a deeper understanding of what was going on. So what did John see that made him believe in the resurrection? What did he see? What was he looking at? Well, clue, it had everything to do with the burial clothes. It had everything to do with what he was seeing going on or had gone on in the tomb. See, when the Jews buried their dead, they, they would wrap their limbs with little strips of linen cloth. They would just wrap all the way down their arms, all the way down their legs. They would wrap with these linen cloths. Then they would take aloe and they would put like a salve over the top of the linen cloths. And so that was all there. That's what they were witnessing, something like that. And so this was something that John was looking at. The face cover was different. It was separate from the burial cloths. What they saw was the linen cloths literally lying in their folds. Now I want you to remember this. Lying in their folds. What it means there is they were undisturbed. They weren't disrupted. They weren't torn apart. They weren't scattered around the tomb. Rather, they were lying there like a cocoon, but collapsed. That it all sunk in. Wow. So they're looking at kind of the figure of a body that was once there, but isn't there any longer. Why is that so important? Because it dispels quite a few rumors. One of those is the rumor that Mary passed. She said, they took him. Listen. If you're going to go into a tomb, you're not going to take the time just to unwrap the cloths. You're just going to pick up the body and head out. But here we see them all laid there. They were laid in a whole package. And if we had been in the tomb, if we were there and we saw what happened, it would look like a flat tire. You see, Jesus rose up out of the grave clothes without a struggle. He came up out. He rose from the grave. John sees this with comprehension. He sees this with understanding and he believes Jesus has risen from the grave. He gets it just the way it was said by Jesus earlier that he was going to raise again. Now, the story shifts just a little bit, and I'm going to wrap it up with this because it's talking about Mary. So we go back to Mary here, and I love what it says here. It says, now... Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? 
They have taken my Lord away. There it is again. They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, uh, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, if you've had anything to do with this, tell me where you put him and I'll go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned toward him and she cried out in a loud voice in Aramaic, Rabboni, Rabboni. That means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God, to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said all these things to her. I want you to notice that last verse there where it says Jesus is speaking. And he says, go tell my brothers. Actually talking about his brothers and sisters. That is the very first time that Jesus calls his disciples brothers. You see, something happened. His life, his death, his resurrection changed everything. Now we're connected to Jesus. Now we're brothers and sisters with Jesus. And what does he say? Go. He's my father. Now he's your father. I made it happen. The veil has been rent. You have access to your father in heaven. And then he says, and he's your God. My God is your God. I love it what it says here when it tells us that we're now connected. Now Mary coming back again to the tomb, still hovering around the place that she had seen Jesus or had contact with Jesus before. But this time, she looks inside, and what does she see? She sees two angels, one sitting at the head, one sitting at the feet, one sitting at each end of where Jesus had been laid. Now, I, I don't know if you're catching this, but this is a beautiful, beautiful picture of an Old Testament scene. You see, the first time I read this, I thought, oh, this is like the mercy seat. You see, Jesus was laid on a slab, and at each end on this is, a, is an angel, a cherubim. That this represents the mercy seat. And the Jews of that day would have caught that. They would have seen that. The blood was sacrificed. It was put on the altar in the presence of holiness, in the presence of angels, because angels only show up for good things like this. I mean, big things like this. And so what happens is they look in and they see the mercy seat. The angels ask Mary, why are you crying? I mean, that's an odd question, isn't it? You're asking a, a woman who just lost somebody that she loves and you're in a cemetery. A lot of people cry in cemeteries. So they say, why, why are you crying? Hey, lady, what, what, what are you crying about? What, what's, what's bothering you? Again, her response is, they've taken my Lord. They've taken him away. And in verse 14, everything starts to change for Mary. Why? She now is face to face with Jesus. Jesus asked the same question that the angels asked, but then he adds one. He says, who are you seeking? See, he's wanting to hear that confession, that declaration. And Jesus asked the same question, but I think what's happening here is Jesus is giving Mary time to pause, time to think, take a deep breath, process what's going on. She thinks he's the gardener, so she says, if you took him, tell me where he is and I'll go get him. 
Now, I don't know if that lands on you as a, a little odd, but it did on me. How is she going to do that? Again, love asks a lot of questions with no answers. How is she going to take, let's say, 150-pound body, and we know that the spices were about 100 pounds, so you have about 250 pounds there, and she's looking at the gardener saying, tell me where he is, I'll go get him. Right, 250 pounds, you can't pull that off. But she's so desperate to touch Jesus, and I love what happens here. I love what happens. Watch this. While Jesus is standing before her, John's discovery of the resurrection happened by seeing Peter's happened by going fishing. Mary's discovery happens with one word, and that word is her name. Verse 16, he says, Mary. You see, when Jesus says her name, she discovers the resurrection. And I think of Romans chapter 10 where it says, faith comes by, by hearing. She hears. She hears a voice that's familiar to her a voice that's intimate, a voice that she recognizes. She discovered Jesus Christ. Mary was surrounded by death, and she finds life. And I think for a lot of us, we might be in the same place, surrounded by hardship, surrounded by death, surrounded by difficult things, and yet Jesus is standing in front of us. We have an opportunity in the place and the day and the time we're living to see Jesus stand brightly in our life. To see Jesus stand clearly. I want to close with, with something that John wrote to us. Literally, John looks ahead and he says something to us. And I love what he says in verses 31 and 32. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you, speaking to us, that you may believe that Jesus is Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You see, believing on Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. The lesson we're learning here is that message of resurrection has been passed on from generation to generation, from century to century, to this place, to this time, to this day that we all stand in front of Jesus and make decisions. That's what happened to Mary. She stood there and said, this is my risen Lord. This is the man, the God that I'm going to follow. Would you bow your head with me for a moment? For those that may, maybe you're wondering, maybe you're walking through life and life's a bit confusing right now to you. I, I, I want to invite you to a place of peace a place of understanding and knowing, embracing eternal life. And that comes through Jesus Christ. And so today, if you've never come to that place of receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior, whether you're here in this building, in the patio, online, the Bible says if I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart the Lord Jesus Christ, then I will experience his salvation. And today, if you're here in this place, and, and you want to invite Jesus into your life, you can do that. Our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. But I want to ask you, if you're here and want Jesus in your heart, in your life, to make a difference, like Jesus made a difference in John and Peter and Mary's life, he can make the same difference in your life as well. If you want to know Jesus, would you do this? Would you just lift up your hand where you are so I can see you? 
and then I know that you're making that commitment. You're just saying, yeah, I'm going to do that today. I'm going to receive Jesus Christ in my heart. Good. Keep your hand up just for a moment. We want to get somebody to you. We have a, a little uh, package that we want to hand to you. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for your faith. Is there anyone else? Lift their hand as well. Good. There are others. Good. Just lift your hand high so we can see you. There are a lot of people around us, and we just want to make sure that we do not lose you or miss you in this building. God has a plan for your life. He really does. He has a plan of where he wants to bring you, how he wants you to live in a way that honors God and live in a way that brings happiness and wholeness to you. Is there anyone else? If you're online, you can let us know that you want to know Jesus in your heart by just hitting the thumbs up button. That's all it takes. And we have the explanation put online and we'll just send it right to you the decision that you're making. Still with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we're going to pray a prayer, every one of us together. We're going to pray this prayer together with each other. I want those that lifted their hands today to know they're part of community, that they don't have to live this life alone. They don't have to walk this, this journey with Jesus by themselves, but there's community. There are people that walk side by side with each other. That's just what we do. So would you repeat these words after me, everyone in the room? Dear Jesus, thank you for your resurrection. It's through your life, death, and resurrection that I can have forgiveness of sin and that I can have the gift of eternal life. So today I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you are my Lord and Savior. I invite you in. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you applaud the salvation of the Lord? Would you do that? Amen. 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 God is good. I want you to go ahead and stand up with me. Would you do that? And you know what we're going to do? We're going to do one more thing before we leave. We've already done it. But I want to do it again with some understanding, a comprehension, just like John, when he saw the grave clothes, it says, and he believed. Let's do this together. I'm going to say, he's risen. He's risen he is risen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen Amen. Let's... Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444. And anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.